Jeff Ogilvie survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Gary Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Gets his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is. Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. G'day everybody. Welcome to episode 8 of Inside the Ropes. A really special week. A week out from... The next of the major championships, of course, the Open Championship, going back to Birkdale. And it's uh, with so much excitement that we're about to say good day to Ian Baker Finch, who, well, all those years ago, Joe Charlton had his great triumph uh, in the Open Championship of 91. Good to see you yet again. How are you? Thank you, Andy. It's great to be back, boys. Thanks for having me on. And Mark Hayes, of course, it wouldn't be inside the ropes without him. How are you, Hazy? Hello, Mario. I'm pumped to get uh, Ian Baker Finch on. He's my... He's my idol. He's my golfing idol. It's a little exciting, I've got to say. It's a little exciting to have him on. Curtis Luck, we're going to hear from as well on the way through today. There's a heavy uh, Queensland influence on the program, which is telling and and, um, significant given what (laughs) happened in State of Origin last night up at Lang Park. I'm sure we're going to have a pretty happy Cam Smith joining us on the show a little bit later on. We'll get through all the bits and pieces that are happening in the world of golf as well on the way through. But it is with great joy that um, we say on our humble little podcast, a very, very warm Australian hello to Ian Baker-Finch, who is a week away from being asked a lot about your Open Championship triumph all those years ago. Finchy, thanks for joining us on the show. Great to be with you all, and uh, congratulations to the Mighty Maroons. <laughs> up there in the state of origin. Sensational stuff! Did you get a well, chance? I saw Paddy. Excited, hey, Finchie, I saw Paddy Mills was tweeting about it. Australians all over the world were aware of what was going on uh, in game number three last night. What, did you, by any chance, have the opportunity to see it? No, but I was up early, and uh, my couple of buddies up in Queensland were keeping me up to date on text and uh, phone calls, etc. So. I knew the result and um, you know, knew what was going on throughout the game. It, it was from 6, six to 8 in the morning or 6 to 8.30 in the morning here in Florida. Um, so, yeah, anyway, it was, it was good to see. Obviously, a proud Queenslander, but uh, more so proud Australia. You'll probably get a few tears from Ben Everly. you probably follow the whole t- trail of tears, Finchie, through his Twitter feed. Yes, he, he does love the Twitter, doesn't he? And, uh, yeah, obviously, yeah, pulling through and through, which is a bit of a shame for him, poor bugger. <laughs> Hey, Ian, we've got the Scottish Open to not get our way through because it's a fantastic championship in and of itself. But, you know, we've got a big weekend of golf over on the European Tour before all eyes, you know, globally focus on Royal Birkdale. Um, And, you know, when that happens, of course, you know, your triumph back in 91 is, you know, sharply in focus. It it must be, you know, it must be a really nice – is it a really nice time when, you know, your championship amongst others um, there – uh, remembered the way it's remembered, given the fact that you know we look to crown the next Royal Birkdale Open champion. Yeah, I, I look forward to the Open Championship every year. It was always um, the, the big event of, as a kid, 
you know, this putt was to win the Open Championship when I was practicing against Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer and uh, Tom Weisskopf and Tom Watson and Gary Player when I was a kid back in the days. You know, those imaginary games around the backyard and our home course, courses, it was always to the Open. And then to play in it in 1984 and uh, see that I could mix it with the best and then eventually get to win it. Um, special times every year at the Open Championship. And then, as you say, when it goes back to Royal Birkdale, just rekindles so many wonderful memories. And leading up to it, you know, I've been tweeting sometimes, uh, you know, a couple of old swings from back then in 91 or you know, a couple of pictures of Haley and I and uh, with the Claret Jug, things like that. Yeah, it, it's very special. It's, it, it's a big part of my life, obviously. So, Finch, you will come back to a bit more of 1991, but you mentioned 1984 there. You know, you head to St Andrews for your first uh, Open Championship. You later said that that taught you a lot about what you needed to do to win the Open itself. You were right in the mix there until that last round as a, as a first-timer. What what was that experience like? That's unbelievable, especially at the home of golf. Yeah, it was incredible. I, I was there. I was 23 at the first Open, and uh, I, I led the first three days. So, um, actually, I was 68 the first day I was in second. I think Billy Long knew I shot 66. And then I had 66 the second day, and I was well in front. Played with Nick Faldo the third day and uh, shot 71, continued to lead. So I was in the last group on the Sunday with Tom Watson. And Tom was going for three in a row and his sixth Open Championship. And I was playing with him. So it was obviously a lot of, who's this? Australian kid with the double-barreled name was the, the British press. And, um, uh, you know, Tom Watson going for his sixth, so it was pretty special. But the, the, one of the best memories I have of that, uh, so many great memories, but the one thing was watching SETI, Tom Watson and I stood on the back of the 17th green, which is essentially the 18th tee as well. And we watched Sevy in that navy blue sweater that he wore for the next six years over Sunday, you know, pumping his fist um, in, in celebration as he made birdie on the 72nd hole. And Sevy won that 1984 Open. So some great memories of, of being paired with Tom in such a special Open, always special at St Andrews, and watching Sevy so excitedly, uh, you know, pumping the fist as he made the win. And Tom, I think, had to birdie the tie, he had to hold his second shot to win, and he paced the, paced the shot, he drove it off the tee and then paced his second shot, and uh, unfortunately for him, uh, it didn't get done. Anyway, great, great memories and made it uh, made me realise that, hey, uh, I can play at, at such a high level, not just play in the Open Championship, but maybe make my goal to win it. And that probably your next phase of the learning lesson to be able to get across the line in 91 probably happened six years later from, mm. from reading some of the stuff you've said in the in the interim. Uh, back at St Andrews again, you put yourself in the mix with another legendary name of golf and, and obviously a good colleague of yours now, Nick Feldo. Yeah, that's right. I, I shot 64 on the Saturday and uh, was in second place. Nick was leading, but I was in the last pairing again on the Sunday at St Andrews. Uh, another fantastic opportunity and moment and watch Nick do what Nick did so well in that period from 87 through uh, 92. He was 
the best in the world, I believe, in the majors. He won, he won five in that period, from 87 to 92, and then, of course, he won again in 96, the Masters, 36. And I saw really what you have to do and how you have to grind it out, and that was the biggest learning step for me for the next year when I had a chance to win it at Birkdale. Yeah, Finchie, so you wrap all that experience into one, and you come to 91, Royal Birkdale. What are the keys to success? What... What do the players need to do next week um, to hold to hold that cup? Joe, there's so many things that I promise you the number one thing in any major is to be able to get there in the frame of mind that you have done your work prior and you are ready to go and you're going to treat this week like any other week. You know it's special. You know you've worked your ass off to get there. You know you've done everything you possibly can to play at your best level, your highest level. But then you have to be able to sit back and say, I'm just going to play. I'm not going to get flustered. I'm not going to let the moment get the better of me. I'm not going to start thinking about what this is all about or what what it's for or how special it is being. All of those things could come through your mind and just go play golf like it's any other week. And that is the hardest thing because you're so pumped up and you're so ready. Um, it, it, I can't fathom Tiger Woods and certainly the great Jack Nicklaus or any of those great players, any of the multiple major winners mm. that had a period of time in their life where they were in that frame of mind multiple times that they could win multiple majors. And it's... Uh, that's, that's the key, to be able to go play the way you know you can under extreme pressure and not let the moment or the week or the uh, that tension get to you. It's fascinating, Ian, listening to you talk about that because, you know, Hazy, Joe and I, I'm sure, you know, in the last couple of days knowing you were coming on have dived back into all the bits and pieces we can find from 91 and about 91. And, you know, you shoot that 64 in the third round to put yourself right in the mix. And pre-round, or when you've been talking about, you know, post-winning it, you said all you wanted to do was stay out of your own way. Just don't get in my own way in that final round. That's easier said than done, I imagine. Like that, did you have a did you have some sort of technique that allowed you to do what you did, you know, in the front nine of that final round? I had a breathing technique that I'd been using. I'd, I'd been practicing it for a couple of months before. Uh, I actually put a steam room in at my house and uh, and practiced it in the steam room. Um, a young guy had been coaching me on it. Um, relaxing in a pool, uh, sort of floating in a pool at night and uh, breathing in the steam room and, and then practicing it out on course. And the breathing technique is what really, I think, allowed me to stay focused and calm and relaxed and all of those cliches that we always talk about, you know, staying in the zone. But I really was so focused that I kept focusing on my breathing and my breathing techniques. And that, I think, is what allowed me to stay out of my own way and, and play the tournament like it was just any other event, which is really easy to say and so hard to do. Oh, God, <laughs> just imagine. That's an amazing story, especially great preparation for the that, you know, drowning humidity of Liverpool, Finchie. <laughs> 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 yeah, the hard thing there is that you, it's, uh, you've got a sweater and a vest and a 
So, mate, you walk onto the, the first tee on the final round and, you, you know, you've, you've got everything under control, as we've just learned. You make a near, well, you nearly make a birdie, I suppose, on the first, and then everything just lights up. Your putter's in control, your irons are just mint. Suddenly, you, you, you're on track to one of the great nine holes in major championship history, trying to co- convert your first or your third chance at winning an Open. How do you stay in that moment? How do you not think about what's ahead, nine holes ahead? had a lot of things going for me. The fact that I'd been in that last pairing a couple of times before, so that didn't fluster me, and I was happy to tee off last. Uh, I was happy to be in the lead, so I tied for the lead. Uh, I played with Mark O'Meara, who was a very good friend of mine. We lived in Florida and practiced regularly together, so we were very good friends and remain good friends to this day. Uh, he, he, in fact, went on to win in 98 at Royal Birthday, which was another special moment I'll share with you sometime. So I had a couple of things like that going for me. I was in great form. I'd been top five in nearly every time when I played the two months leading in. Um, I had my wife, Jenny, who was six months pregnant with Laura with me and Haley, a two-year-old, and I'd played in the garden with Haley for an hour or two before the late tea time that day, we had a house rented just down the street. I had Steve Band staying with me, who was there um, coaching Robert Allenby and, and uh, helping Robert in his uh, first Open Championship. I actually had a couple of practice rounds with Robert. So there, everything just seemed to be as you would plan it. You know, everything was uh, ready to go. So there was nothing special about it. I got to the first tee early. Uh, focused for five or six minutes quietly by myself on the first tee and prepared myself for the round and just went out and played and um, did, did what I had planned on doing or what I had visualised doing, and that was playing sensibly and hitting the ball where I aimed it and making a few putts, which was hard to do that year. The greens weren't great at Royal Birkdale that year. Everyone was complaining about them early in the week. They gradually got a little better as time went on. And uh, I made five putts for birdie on the front nine and uh, just keep out of the rest on the way home. Just sort of hung on. <laughs> so, Finchy there too, what you're, what you're talking... Everything fell into place. Sorry, Finchy, I cut you off there. But what you're talking about Sorry, there is preparation. So, and the calmness and I suppose the normality that good, thorough preparation can give you. Was that something that you would have executed week in, week out? Or was that sort of a special major um, sort of experience? I think you focus harder in a major. I mean, everyone talks about it, don't they? Uh, you know, you listen to Adam Scott and Jason Day and Greg back in the day when all of our top players talked about we build our whole schedule for the year around the majors. The majors are what means most to you and to your career at the end of your career your performances in majors. So everything's built around them and around the time and the schedule 
throughout the year. You maybe focus a little harder because you know it's a special week, but what I was saying before is you then have to, although you've prepared so well and you're so pumped up and you're so ready to go, you then have to bring that amp down somewhat to allow you to just go play like it is any other week. Mm. And, and I think that's the hard thing that the real champions have been able to uh, to figure out. So, Finchie, midway through the round, you've, you've turned in, you know, 29, just an incredible 29. Just sounds amazing even to say it right now. Um, you said in the video that we've, well, I was watching last night, you know, you've, you've first had a look at the leaderboard as you rolled in the birdie on the on the ninth, or actually your two-putt par on the ninth, I think it was. And Yeah. I, you had the look at the leaderboard and you thought, well, I'm, I'm a mile in front now. Uh, the world's sort of closing in on you a little bit midway through the back nine, and then you've, you've, at probably a crucial time with Mike Harwood and others coming back towards you, uh, hit a magnificent iron shot, long iron, I think on the 16th, and you've turned... It's Pete Bender, your caddy, right? Mm-hmm. Turned to your caddy after you've hit it, and you said, did you like that one, Petey? <laughs> and, and he said, love it. <laughs> is that is that like the shot that you remember the most? I mean, it wasn't you know to two inches or anything like that. But under the pressure of the situation, with the you know the world mounting on your shoulders, there did, did that sort of feel to you like it was the shot that got the monkey off your back? Um, it was it was one of many, but it was really the one that it was a tough shot. It was into the wind. It was a forward line. Um, you could hit it in those little pot bunkers there and make five so easy. Uh, I'd had a couple of birdie chances at the par five before that at 15, the par three, 14, uh, 13. I had a chance long putt that went close. I had, I had chances, 12, the par three. So I hadn't had a birdie since the seventh. It was at the seventh that I looked at the leaderboard, Hazy, and I said to myself, boy, you better not stuff it up from here. Well, they won't let you back in the country. <laughs> did you? you, yeah, did you... In front, you know, there was Ballesteros and all of these names up there on the board, and I'm like, oh my god, Freddy, yeah. five in front. <laughs> did you feel that pressure from home, Finchie? Did, did, did you feel I, pressure I, from I, home? Totally, because I, I felt like I'd stuffed up before. I felt like I had a chance in '84. I had a chance in '90. Um, I just. I just felt that I had, a, had sort of a chance at the Masters in 91 as well, you know, before the Open that year. I, I just felt like I, I needed to convert, that um, everyone would be watching. Um, hopefully, you know, that obviously they were pulling for me, but hopefully I, I, they weren't sort of sending through vibes of, oh, boy, it's Finchie, I hope he gets it done this time. Mm. But that, those sort of thoughts are, are more imaginary stuff. They're not things that really hinder your abilities or, or focus. But yeah, I was I wanted to do it and I, I knew that it was a big moment for me. So that, that shot at sixteen really was um, I was I guess it was I was still in control. And then at the seventeenth I hit a five iron on the green and two putted for birdie. And that's when I knew if bar you know a broken leg down the last that I had it I had it one. You know, three up three up in front going up the last. That was the that was the big thing. So the two putt birdie but the shot at sixteen gave me the confidence that I was still in control, but then the birdie 
on 17 at the par 5 was um, that was the icing on the cake. So, Finch, I'll jump forward a bit here because it's sort of apropos of what you've just said in, in that answer about the feeling that, you know, people were pulling for you a bit. You made an amazing speech. Like, like a lot of speeches that, you know, players make, you know, on the 18th after they've won these major events are, um, are probably a bit of a blur for the person making the speech. But you said um, to, you know, the, the fans who were at Birkdale and probably to people beyond, you said, you've always been right behind me. I hope that now I'm a winner and not a loser. You'll stay behind me. It was a really, it felt really profound. It felt like really coming from deep within you a little bit. Do, do you remember those words and do you remember where it all came from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's uh, a little a little bit of the background, I, I guess, my background, a little bit of the fact that I never really saw myself on top. I never really thought of being number one. I never really wanted to be. I just wanted to be the best I could be. Um, you know, everyone says this once again, so all the cliches, humble beginnings, you know, Mum and Dad brought me up well, youngest of six kids, you know, always getting a kick up the arse whenever I got ahead of myself, that, <laughs> that type of thing. Mm. And it really was more, uh, hey, uh, I'm still the same person, just because just mm. I'm a major champion now, don't don't uh, <laughs> don't forget about me, I'm, I'm still the same kind of feeling. So I, I wished I'd been able to talk for longer and really say more in that speech when I look back on it now, but I was so emotional and it was such a big time, uh, I couldn't really go on anymore. I felt like I would have uh, broken down and, and not be able to get it out, and I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to say what I wanted to say and say what I thought. There was no real time to prepare. You know, yeah. I didn't have a manager there writing my speech for me. You know, I had, I had a, a pregnant wife who was quite emotional and a two-year-old girl I was watching the out for. She was falling in bunkers and having a great time. Hayley has so many fond memories and photographs around our house and around the place from that time. And Poor old Laura, she just sees mummy's fat tummy at the time. She, she doesn't have any memories of it. But um, how, priceless, she, how priceless is that, Finchie? Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah. You know, another thing I've got to say, one of, one of the great things, when I did win, um, Jenny was there with, with Hayley and Pete Bender was such a great caddy and very very much a, a part of my success in those couple of years you know, that I played so well. But then grades came down uh, with a glass of champagne and that was a really special moment. You know, you had the, had the forethought and the, you know, the, the general feeling of, hey, you know, another another Queenslander, another Aussie's done well, and he, and he came down and gave me a big hug and a congratulations. That was pretty special too. You know, before I'd signed my card or anything, he was right there. So I've always remembered that. Can I ask you about that feeling that is specific and particular to an Open Championship? And there's great vision, you know, people can source on YouTube if you, if you can't remember it, but that you've hit your approach up to 18 and you've still got that tricky little pitch, which I'd love to ask you about before we finish up, but that feeling of working your way through the crush of fans and you emerge you know, through the ruck 
and then you get clear of the people and you know that frenetic noise and you know the sort of stampede nature of it all, and then it's all in front of you. It's all it all opens up and you've got clear air, and it's the vastness of an open championship, and you know that it's yours now. You've got it. And Peter Ellis talked about it in the commentary. He said it's a very emotional moment. Plenty of time to think about things. What what was it? Can you remember distinctly what it felt like to emerge from the fans and have that space and that that vista and that environment in front of you? I, yeah, I can. I, I have I have vivid memories of it. Uh, firstly, Mark O'Neill was lucky to make it through. He lost a shoe and <laughs> LA has finding out the through. And, uh, I think that was the last year that people were allowed to run out onto the fairway uh, with the players. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was the last year. The next year at... Um, at Newfield, they changed that and put double barriers up and kept police there. Anyway, Mark finally made it through and he put his shoe back on and, and came up. But I, I was... Uh, my mindset was, OK, don't celebrate yet. you still got to get it done. And uh, I played the hole safely. I hit my drive. I've got a, I've got a picture of Royal Birkdale, the painting, Linda Hartog painting in my office as I talk about this and I, I see the picket fence down the right hand side <laughs> of the 18th and I was on the tee just quickly I was on the tee and there's a lot of people being pushed up from the 17th green and they were falling up on, onto the tee and there's a lot of noise and stampeding and whatever going on and you know sort of a little bit out of my routine and I look down the right hand side and I see this picket fence and I'm like oh my god I didn't realise there was a fence down there <laughs> So I shuffled over a little bit and aimed down the left rough line and hit it down the left. I was not going to hit it out of bounds. I wasn't going to make a mess with this. But it was funny that at that very last minute I noticed it and I'm looking at it now on this this beautiful painting. But I I then laid up with my second. I hit a six iron out of the rough to be short right and avoid the bunkers. Always avoid the bunkers at Royal Birdsdale because they'll ruin you around. And then it was, as I came through that crowd, as you say, Andy, um, I still got to get this done. Don't celebrate yet. Mm. A couple of acknowledgements to the crowd, talking to my caddy, um, just staying in the moment. And then I had at least 10 little practice swings with my lob wedge from over there, about 30 yards right of the green. And I'm sure my caddy wanted me to pitch and run it left of the bunker yes. 230 feet. <laughs> why didn't you do <laughs> that? No I'm, way, I'm going for this. I'm desperate to know why you <laughs> took that line. Yes. Uh, so, but I, I, it all happened so quickly, and yet when you look back on it, there's so much time to think about it. It's, uh, it's a strange one, but the... the the noise and the crowd and the feeling and the whole environment is so special. And that's something that, that you never forget. Uh, in fact, when I went back there in 98, I did a little television piece for um, the Japanese network. And I was walking up the last hole with this young man that was interviewing me. And the club played the noise through the speakers this was the uh, the week before the Open. And they played the taped sound of what had gone on in 91 wow. through all the speakers that were surrounded in the stands. Oh, I cried. It was amazing. 
How cool. God, and everyone awesome. that was in the clubhouse came out on the deck and clapped as I walked up. You know, I was just playing around the golf um, and talking to this uh, reporter. Uh, I was with Kevin Cross, a very good friend of mine from Australia. He and I were just having a round of golf as a, as a practice round, and they did that for us. It was really, really special. But it, it just brought back all that, that flood of uh, emotions and, and memories. Oh, what an amazing! <laughs> and so, Finchie, you, you you climb this mountain, right? It, it's the it's the you know the the achievement of a professional golfer's lifetime. Uh, was it the moments after it, and as the dust settled on it all, was it everything you expected it would be? Uh, I, at the time, I think even more because of the notoriety that went with it, and now all of a sudden everything I said in media interviews was gospel and everyone wanted to know, <laughs> you know, my thoughts on the price of eggs in Denmark. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it was a, a lot thrust upon me. Uh, I was 30. Um, I wished I'd had... These days, guys have a team around them of advisors and helpers and, uh, you know, someone just getting everything done for them and, and, and writing the words and advising them on what to say in the media centre and um, getting them through all of this. But at that time, it was just, just me and uh, I had a good caddy and I, I had a, a good manager in the background, David Yates, who was with ING at the time. But I, I didn't really have anyone right there. Um, helping me out, I was I was a, a dad and a husband and uh, a new baby on the way. And Laura was born early October, uh, so it was, there were so many expectations and so many extra time-consuming things that went with it all. And that part of it, I wasn't really aware of. I, I wished I'd had better help or advice at that time, uh, like all of the young guys seem to have these days. But all in all, it was just, it's made my life. Mm. You know, me and Baker Finch, the Open Champion. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it was everything that, uh, that you work hard for and, and, and still is, you know, 27 years on. Do you ever get sick of hearing that uh, that title, Finchy? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I actually should have a tape of that. And the Champion Golf World of the Year <laughs> 1991. <laughs> when you oh boy no it's it's very special when you look back at the list of champions at Royal Birkdale does that sort of add even more gloss to it I mean there's Arnold Palmer there's Lee Trevino there's yeah, it's the who's who of golf who've won at this tournament this 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 uh, this venue on the rotor yeah it, in my opinion and, and obviously it's a biased opinion because I won there but it, it's the best links course maybe in the world, but certainly top 10 in the world, and it's the, it's the best venue for an Open Championship. It's just a spectacular links course that provides wonderful views for the galleries. The, the course plays beneath the fan dunes. Uh, it really is a true links. And my mentor and, and good old friend Peter Thompson won there twice in 54 and 65. I think that added to the luster of it all for me as well, I, he calls that 65 victory his greatest achievement because he played against the best in the world. Um, 
that year. All the Americans started coming over when Arnie started coming in 1960, and it really sort of gained momentum as the Open Championship in the 60s. Um, that I think that adds to it, the fact that it's a great course and a great list of champions. Johnny Miller, of course, in that wonderful battle with Seve back in 76. Uh, Tom Watson won there in, uh, in 83. Yeah, there's, there's some great champions there. Mark O'Meara in 98. And there's Padraig Harrington, of course, mm. the last time it was there. Well, Finchie, spending some time with you on our podcast has been a magnificent precursor for what lies in store. This time next week, we'll be uh, settling in at about 6 o'clock for long, long nights and huge <laughs> wide vistas of the golf course and not a lot of stuff happening, but we just love it. The, the way that the, the, the tournament comes back into our houses you know, over in Australia is is magnificent and we can't wait. It's been a joy to um, ask you to relive it for us at least one more time, mate. Thanks for being so generous with your time. We really appreciate it. Oh, I enjoyed it. I, I could uh, I could give you another hundred memories for another half hour. But, uh, we'll save that for another time, perhaps. And uh, I've enjoyed being with you. Thanks, Joe, and uh, thanks, Andy. Thanks, Hazy. Anytime. Thanks, Finchie. Good stuff, Finchie. Ian Baker Finch joining us here on Inside the Ropes. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program near you, visit swingfit.com.au. G'day, it's Nick O'Hearn here. Whenever I get the chance, I catch up with Inside the Road to follow up on all the latest golf and I urge you all do the same. It's a great show. How good, how lucky are we, first of all, to have access to Ian Baker Finch a week out from um, you know, the Open Championship, but how good a man is Ian Baker Finch? Yeah, as I said before, we talked to him. He's he's my golfing idol, Finchie. Um, he's refreshing. Yeah, he's he, he's the Aussie most humble, humbleness. It's, yeah, mm. he's one of the most giving blokes you could meet in any walk of life. The fact that he's got all this other stuff going on that could separate him mentally from other people, he just doesn't give it any credence at all. He just is a normal normal bloke, as normal as you'd ever see, completely unaffected. It's and, unbelievable. And uh, couldn't agree with him more. And is. He gives to. I think he would have been happy to come on a podcast like this because he knows it's going to be primarily listened to by Australian golf fans. And his his willingness to open doors to Australian golf fans and people like you, like us who work in the industry. I mean, you've seen that firsthand, Hazy. Yeah, I have. I've been very lucky for a very long time. I spent six years in Queensland as a kid, and I played my junior golf. I learnt golf at the Twantonoosa Golf Club, and what became the Jack Newton Pro-Am was just a little, you know, a club-bound thing at the time. Uh, as a 10, 11-year-old, maybe, the junior program there got to caddy for the people coming up, and Ian Baker Finch is a young pro from Caloundra just up the road, and uh, I got to caddy for him for 18 holes, and right. awesome. it affected my life, and it still continues to affect mm. my life, and you know, he has that influence. I saw him at the Australian Senior Open in Perth when he turned 50 a few years ago, uh, talking to a young kid who's just got stars in his eyes, yeah. and, he, and he treats him as if he's his own son. It's it's truly remarkable, and I'm sorry if I so, sound sycophantic here, but he is the most giving person of an elite athlete Augusta. I've ever seen. Tell me the Augusta story. 
Yeah, well, again, my first time to Augusta, and I and I obviously known Finchie a little bit, but not you know he's not my best mate or anything like that. And he said, "Oh, great, so great that you're here, Hazy. Come along, come along, to come down to my tower." And at that stage in the CBS commentary team, he's got the perch sitting above the eleventh green, twelfth tee down the you know the prime real estate in world golf. He's got his own little commentary tower down there, and they're only on. He's only on air for a short period on Sunday afternoon. He said, come down at one o'clock when his stuff doesn't really start until sort of three. So I just sort of trotted down there, not really knowing what he expected. But he's just perched up there in his tower. And we sat up in the tower for like three, three and a half hours just talking about the world, the universe, everything. Hawthorne Footy Club, he wanted to know what was happening with his Mighty Hawks. He wanted to know what was happening with the rugby league. He just is so unaffected. I keep saying that. But, you know, to sit there and, and be in the spot in world golf with the bloke who's your hero is unbelievable. And to have him treat you like just a normal bloke, it's just icing on the very, very sweet cake. So, Joey, he mentions the word unaffected, and um, it's 100% right. I think everybody, you know, gets a sense of that. And I, I didn't want to mention this. I didn't want to ask Finchie about this because we wanted to talk about 91 and particular and not the rest of his golfing journey but um and i hope he doesn't mind me bringing up if he's actually listening to the podcast but in just looking at bits and pieces knowing that he was coming on i found a piece from sports illustrated from 1998 rick riley you know you talk about ian baker finch being you know a hero i i saw rick riley at augusta in the in the media center back in 2010 having lunch on his own and he's a a hero of mine. I thought, bugger, I'm going to go over and talk to Rick Rowley and say g'day. And, just, and I did, and he was great. But that's by the by. He wrote a piece in 98 about the seven years after 91 and what had happened to Ian Baker Finch from a golfing perspective. And it was a hell ride. Like mm. it was torture, what happened to Finchy. And if you want to know and you want a refresher, find that Rick Rowley piece from Sports Illustrated and your hair will curl reading about it. Then you hear Ian Baker Finch talk, and he's, I wouldn't say he's unaffected by what he went through, because you can't possibly be unaffected by that, but the fact that he's not a quivering bag of jelly who dribbles every time someone asks him a question, given what he went through and what the game, what the game did to him, it's, it's a bit of a miracle. And, and it, Rick Riley wrote in that piece, it was the, winning the Open was the cruelest thing that ever happened to him. Because he went on this journey, because he realised I can now compete with Feldo and Norman. I am one of them, so I need to get my game to a level where it is as good as theirs. I not just rely on the game that he had, and that was that search that Ian Baker Finch went on to find an extra twenty yards off a tee or whatever it was that he tried learn how to hit a draw. Whatever he tried to find that started to see his game unravel. Um, the fact that he has been able to get through that as a human being and come out the other side the decent hum- the, the decent man that he is. It's a credit to him, you know? He's uh, He's got no interest in being at Birkdale next week. He, he could start. He's got to start there if he wants it. He doesn't have any interest in going over there to play. Um, but if you watch him play, if you, if you could see him play in his little club in Florida there or when he comes home on the senior tour or just mucking around with his mates, you'd realise that... Not only could he play without sort of doing himself any damage, he could actually be a, you know, not saying contend, I'm not saying that, but he could actually make a cut here still. Yeah, like yeah. he's that good still. 
And if you were if your ball went into a ball washer, Andy, and you had to get up and down for your life, he is the man you want over the next shot. Has he floated any interest in in Absolute, tinkering with it again? Nope, nope. No, he ref- point blank refuses. He's got no. He, he plays the occasional senior event when he's hum, mm. when he comes home with his mates here, but. You know, he'll tell you his game is not where it is. But if you if you hear those guys who actually play with him down in Florida, they'll say he's still got it. Mm. Oh, word filters out. Oh, Baker Finch has teed it up somewhere and he shot sixty eight. Yeah, sixty seven at yeah, medalist today. Yeah, you know, yeah, so it's still it's clearly still there. Yeah, uh, a joy, and we're lucky to have him on. And um, let's take him up on the offer that he's going to be available to us at some <laughs> other stage down the track. Well, I hope he still. I hope he does listen to this because I really want to talk to him about Olympics at some point down the oh, track. We should do that. We Absolutely. just didn't get time today, and I'm sorry for everyone and Finchie for that matter that we didn't get to that because that's fascinating. And his mm. passion for Australia, even though he is based in Florida with his work, is as high as a kite. And he wants to make that really sing. And he's got a lot of thoughts about that for Tokyo and beyond maybe Los Angeles or Paris, wherever it is now that we've we've uh, got it back in the Olympics for a third time. Exactly. Uh, just reminder to listeners to subscribe on Apple Podcasts uh, or for Android users, download a podcast app through Google Play to get the show delivered to your device every Thursday. Leave a review. We... There'll come a point at some stage in our existence where we don't read out the names of everybody that does leave a review, but we are still in our uh, infancy, Joey, and if people do leave a review, we're going to mention their names. We've got a couple. I gave the reviews to one. I've got them right in front of me. Yeah, we have had a couple of shout-outs. Clate's very popular. They're demanding a little bit more course reviews and course architecture talk Mm -hmm. from Alan... Oh, sorry, LKM. Thank you. Also a five-star review from Glenis... Uh, I am 72, and this is an interesting name. It's by not my real name yet. (laughs) They have said, has very easily slipped into my weekly collection of podcasts, great hosts, and so far an awesome collection of guests with equally awesome topics. So thank you very much. Spot on. Golf Month, Hazy. Just quickly give us an update on what's happening there. Uh, as we said last week, we encourage everyone to get involved. And if you want your club or facility anywhere around Australia to try and throw open its doors to the public at large and try and get someone involved in golf who's not, we we really, really strongly encourage you from uh, from all levels of the game. It doesn't matter whether you're a complete chopper and someone haven't picked up the club or right up to a pro, get your club and facility involved. Take them down to the range, go to mini golf, play foot golf, whatever it is. We'd love you to get involved. Oct- um Golf month is in October, Andy, yes. but from in about a month's time, we're busily signing up all the different clubs and facilities to, to make a range of offers on a calendar through October. So we've got a couple of months to prepare for it. And as I said, we actively encourage you to get your club involved. Beautiful time of year to get back outside too. Winter's behind us and it's a good thing to do. If you're listening to um, Inside the Roads for the first time um, and you're a bit interested in what you've heard today and you'd like to maybe investigate the back catalogue, go to www.golf.org.au forward slash Inside the Roads. So go Google your state's website to listen to the um, state-specific programs uh, that we run as well. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. 
It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. Hey, Steph Ogilvy. I can't be in Australia very often, but I love keeping up with everything on Inside the Rope podcast. A good bunch of guys, and I love listening. Time now to catch up with one of the finest young golfers, not only in Australia, but uh, on the planet. He's part of this flotilla of uh, young 20-somethings who are taking the game by storm, and uh, I reckon we're going to get him in a pretty good mood. Uh, he is, of course, from Queensland, Hazy and Joe, and I'm tipping last night. I don't know whether he was at Lang Park, but I'm tipping he would have been watching Queensland continue their come-from-behind victory in origin. Uh, and I reckon he'd be a pretty happy man. Cameron Smith's the young fella I'm talking about, and he's been good enough to join us on Inside the Ropes. Hello, Cam. How are you, mate? Were you at Lang Park? I know you're at home. Were you, did you get to Lang Park last night? Um, yeah, I did. I was um, fortunate enough to be a guest of the QRL last night, so we got some really good seats, and yeah, it couldn't have uh, turned out better for us. Did you plan this break to actually be at home during Origin Camp? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> How good was it? I mean, 50 record crowd. We're watching it down here in Melbourne, and we all assume our, a bit of a Queensland identity during um, Origin, given the fact that most of your team plays for the Melbourne Storm. Um, how big was it last night? Yeah, it was pretty big. Um, I mean, that's probably the the uh, biggest game of league I've been to. Um, you know, they got a they got a um, attendance record last night, um, and and then just the atmosphere at Suncorp there is incredible. So, yeah, uh, goosebumps and chills. Um, all night. It was pretty cool. Mate, if I could give you a green jacket or I could give you the chance to hoist up that Origin shield, which would you take? <laughs> um, probably, yeah, I'd definitely need the green jacket, but the uh, the Origin shield wouldn't be too far behind. <laughs> <laughs> hey, not only are you a, um, a rugby league fan, before we start talking about some serious golf stuff, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure why I'm surprised. I was just doing a bit of reading about you, and um, you're another one of these Australian golfing rev heads. Um, how long? How long has how long have fast cars and flash cars been of significant interest to you? Um, oh, pretty much, um, pretty much my whole life, really. Um, and my old man's into into that kind of stuff as well, into the old, um, you know, the old kind of V8s and all that rubbish. So, um, yeah, so. Yeah, it's been a been a part of uh, my life for yeah for ages. How many cars have you got in the go currently at home? Um, I've got two in Australia and I've got two in the US. And which one, if you can just sort of jump behind the wheel of any of the four cars you've got, which is the one that you most enjoy driving? Um, oh, that's a tough question. Uh, I, I love them all. They've all got the different. They've all got their different perks. Um, um, I've got a. Uh, I've got a Subaru STI here that I've done a lot of work to. Um, that is, that's really quick, basically. <laughs> um, and that's that's awesome to drive. But I think the one that I enjoy to drive the most is probably the uh, GTR over in the states. Back here when you are at home and you head out to, I think it's Willowbank Raceway, which is about 45 minutes west of where you are yeah. in Brizzy, how does your coach feel about that when you're speeding around that track? <laughs> um, they usually don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do now. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I don't usually, um, I don't 
I don't try to. Um, I try to keep it to myself as much as I can, really. There was a line in a story about this, Hazy, um, and I was reading it, and the line started about your Nissan GTR that you're talking about, Camp. The story started, he'd only owned the car for seven days, and Cameron Smith had already put a 1,000 miles on it. And your quote to that when asked about it was, I didn't buy it just to look at it, which I thought was priceless. (laughs) Yeah, that's true, yeah. As as soon as we got it... um uh, my girlfriend and I, we drove to um, Orlando, which is like a two-and-a-half-hour drive there. We spent about 20 minutes in Orlando and then drove back. It was kind of <laughs> it's more, to just, more to just be in the car. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Two-and-a-half hours, but about 400 kilometres, Camo. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, when you first started banking a couple of really tiny checks on the Australian PGA Tour, you used to... Uh, you know, put a new set of sheepskin covers on the on the seats or something of your old car. What do you do now when you uh, have a collect on the big tour? Um, um, I'd like to think I'm pretty smart with it. I um, um, I put I put most of it away, and uh, I'm uh, going to renovate my um, home here in uh, in Brisbane. I'm just putting a bigger deck on the back. Um, something that I've wanted to do ever since I've had it. Um, yeah, so I'm just doing that, and um, yeah, just um, just with the cars as well. That's about it. Yeah. So, other than revving around while you've been at home, uh, you've, I've seen you've also been out at the QAS squad training. Does that feel like a lifetime ago to you when you were part of that as, as an amateur? Yeah, it felt weird having um, Tony and Grant telling me what to do and what station to go to again. <laughs> Usually, I just do my own thing now. But um, no, it was it was good. It brought, uh, brought back some good memories there, and um, yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, I loved it. So, what came? You know, when you were there, just learning the, the the ropes, so to speak. You know, you were one of a heap of young kids coming through. Now you go back there, and every kid in that QAS squad hangs on every word you say, and they all want to get and see what you do and how you practice and all that sort of stuff. That must be a complete sort of you know bizarre experience for you mentally. Yeah, it is a bit weird. Um, yeah, knowing that I was there just uh, three or four years ago in in their shoes, and um, yeah, yeah, it's just it's just weird to it. I still think of myself as just one of those guys. I don't, you know, I I don't try to influence anything on anyone. So yeah, but um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool. But here you are now, from that kid that you know, Joe and Hazy are talking about to um, you know one of these young kind of twenty-year-olds who are identified as being part of the next wave of you know real talent and you know guys who are going to shape the game for the next decade and beyond. You know when you when you see your name put alongside you know Spieth and Matsuyama and Ram and you know, all these guys, do you? Do you feel, yeah, I'm, that's where I'm at, and that's who I am now, and you know, you feel comfortable being sort of linked in alongside all those guys? Yeah, um, now I do. Um, I feel very comfortable out um, on the tour now. I've managed to make a few friends and um, all that kind of stuff. Uh, when I first went over there, it was, it was, um, it was a bit tough, um, just having basically no one there. And, um trying to do your stuff without any any support really and um yeah now having a couple of friends over there and just playing events um i think i've played like 
a bit over 50 events now on the PGA Tour. So, yeah, getting getting real comfortable and know all the guys really well. So, um, yeah, I think I think that's been the biggest thing. Just um, yeah, just making a couple friends and just making it easier on yourself. Because you are you are a homebody essentially, Cam. Mate. You love being back around. I know you get out to one teamer and. Doing, doing all your things in, in Brisbane just as you always used to. That's It's home base for you and that's not going to change really, is it? No, no that was the the goal at the start of the year and it'll probably be the goal next year as well was um, just to get up enough points to come home for a decent amount of time and kind of hang out with family and friends. So, um, yeah, I don't think that'll change for a long while yet. You talk about you know acclimatising and feeling like you belong there, and obviously you know the human side of it, making mates and knowing you know how to get from point A to point B and what to eat and all that stuff so is really important. But how how much does winning change all of that? The way you see yourself, you know, on the biggest tour on the planet. I mean, you have that win that you had, you know, with Jonas this year. How much of a difference does that make, Cam? Um. Yeah, it's, it's it's huge, really, when you think about it. Um, a couple of years um, after this year on the tour, guaranteed. Um, mate, I think it's just a bit of uh, job security um, and a lot of stress off the shoulders, really. That's um, that they're the, definitely the two biggest things. And in terms of this, one of the things that people like us are always interested in how you how it allows you to plan. Um, you know what comes next. You don't have to chase it; like it's it's in front of you now. And um, you know a lot of the courses. And I guess you probably go, "Yeah, I like I like that track suits me, and I like playing that part of the world." Is that does that become part of the way you lay out your own schedule for the next couple of years? Yeah, um, for sure. So basically, the last two or three years, I've just played where I where I could. Um, um, not knowing whether I'd really be in to uh, the invitationals and stuff like that, the, the bigger ones. And now I can just kind of uh, free will it and pick and choose at the start of the year and kind of make up a really good schedule and stick to it um, and, yeah, to see how it goes. Well, Cam, one place you're probably going back to is Louisiana where you, you, you had your maiden victory there. Now, you know, a couple of months have gone past. Glad to see you've got your voice back, by the way, after the uh, presentation <laughs> ceremony. Mate, but uh, thinking back, you played a magnificent back nine in regulation on the Sunday um, in combination with Jonas, but particularly yourself. And you're sitting there, uh, presumably halfway up the 18th fairway, and Kevin Kisner plays like one of the most ridiculous shots on tour in a couple of years. Uh, he's not listening, mate. Tell us your thoughts about uh, his little miracle <laughs> chip shot. Um. I thought it was going in the water when he first did it. <laughs> right. um, no, I think that um, I've I've put that on Jonas um, because I I had a um, you know one or a two foot putt there to win on the Sunday night, or who was going to be to win, and Jonas said Jonas had like a six footer or an eight footer. He wasn't that far away, and Jonas said, "Oh mate, I want you to tap it in for your first win before before Kevin chipped it." So I think he's done a little bit of a uh, like a jinx type thing, and oh. yeah, and then he chipped it in. Yeah. yeah. Did your heart so, just jump up into your mouth, mate? Yeah, it's a little bit um, heart wrenching, but uh, just made it just yeah, just made it better on the Monday morning when we got it done. 
One of the kind of crazy things about all of that, so you have this win and, you know, the bank balance looks better and all that sort of stuff, but because of the nature of the tournament, um, the there was no rankings benefit from it. And I was reading somewhere, knowing that you were coming on, that you actually went out in the um, <laughs> the world golf rankings rather than coming in. Well, I don't know whether that's a big deal to you at all, but... It's just insane. I'd, I'd be I'd be pissed off if that was me. Like I'd be so annoyed by that. Yeah, it's, it's a bit annoying. Um, uh, I think I went out two spots. Jonas went out four spots. Unreal. Yeah, so yeah, it's a bit annoying, um, especially considering um, that the international uh, Presidents Cup team is based off world rankings, mm. and that's something that I've obviously been working towards all year. Um, had been playing really good coming up to the event and then obviously getting the win there and not really getting, I, w- I wouldn't say like unnoticed, but not getting the credit that, you, that you've that you worked for um, to get on the team is kind of a bit, uh, a bit sketchy. But yeah, a bit so, annoying. So, so has Nick Price spoken to you about that since, Cam? Like is he aware that you know your ranking isn't perhaps where it might have been you know, logically? No, he hasn't spoke to me yet. Um, if he's listening, I expect a call off him. <laughs> oh, Camo, I reckon we're chasing him down. I reckon he's going to come on inside the ropes sometime in the next few weeks. So we'll put your case really, really hard for you, mate. All right, thanks. So you're at home at the moment. Where, where, what, where's the next step in the Cameron Smith? Are oh, you off to the Open? Of course you are. Yeah. So when do you take off and um, and head over to to um, to Birkdale? Um, we leave. Uh, tomorrow, tomorrow night to get in uh, Saturday morning. Um, then we'll just uh, a couple cruisy days, maybe walk a few holes, play a few holes. Um, I've never been to Birkdale before, so um, yeah, I'll really be taking everything that I am uh, trying to walk and you know get as get as much off people as I can the first few days. Talking uh, talking about that, your preparation into the, the Open, we've just been speaking to um, Ian Baker-Finch and he talked about the importance of that. How has your maturity grown in that capacity over the last few years being on the tour in terms of a preparation point of view? Yeah, my my preparation really has never been, um, has never been better. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's a mature thing just, just knowing that, you know, this is, this is your job and this is what you have to do, so you may as well do it right. Um, yeah, so the last the last couple of years, I've really tried to focus on that preparation, you know, Monday through Wednesday, um, you know, putting in the hours and then, and then just kind of taking it easy for the rest of the week. One guy you're going to have to beat over there, mate, is Jordan Spieth, and I know at Royal Sydney, we're, uh, he's... I wouldn't say he's cut your lunch. He's just made a good birdie on the playoff hole. But uh, I'm pretty sure that's still not great with you. It might be the wrong word, but that that's something that you're desperate to achieve, isn't it, before you're hanging up? You want to get your name on that Stonehaven Cup and, and presumably the Kirkwood Cup too at the PGA Championship. These are things that you, you will keep coming home to play in, I understand, for a long, long time. Yeah, I've always been, um, you know, like I said before, I've, I've, I, I just love home, so... Um you know, the more that I can get back um, and play those um, events, uh, I, I will for sure. Um, if the schedule doesn't allow for it, um, it's it's a completely different story. Um, obviously, my 
my job and my work is over in the US and um yeah, if if I have to sacrifice that for, you know, one year or whatever it is, depending on how my uh how I lie over there, um I, I will have to but I'll always be back uh, when I can. Last one for me before I let you go, Hazy and Joe, if they've got someone else. But do, how, do you ever find yourself? I don't know whether you're a golf nerd or not, but whether you just—it's a game that you're just really good at. But do you go? Do you find yourself ever going online and just looking at that that three wood you played at Chambers Bay? <laughs> do, you, do you go back online every now and again <laughs> just have a look at that shot again? Um, no, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of yeah, I don't. Yeah, I just kind of. Oh, mate. When was the last time you saw it? When was the last time you watched that shot? Um, oh, geez, probably however long the US Open was. I watched it again last night. I had to watch it about five times. I just the way that ball. I mean, a the the strike was you know obviously everything you had and magnificent, but the way that ball keep just keeps curling. I don't know, did, where, from where you were, it would have been 260 metres away or whatever it was, but did you have any sense that this might actually go in? Did, did Were you aware of how close that thing was curling to the hole? No, it was, that, um, that green kind of has like a big raised front on the right-hand side right, there. Right. Um, and you can only see like a tiny bit of the front left-hand corner. So, yeah, as soon as we just heard the roar and, um, yeah, obviously everything coming up and then, our scorer said to us as we were walking up, um, he said, oh, it's like six inches away. <laughs> and then I said to him, you better not be lying. Right. <laughs> because it would be the scariest three-footer ever. <laughs> yeah, a few people had trouble with putts around that hole, particularly from up above oh, it. Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't easy to get that ball in that hole. No. I, um, any of you took it well, any, I wouldn't got... mind asking one more question yeah, about yeah. that because, I mean, I was in the uh, behind the grandstands there it sounded like an earthquake. It sounded, I thought the San Andreas folded group to part camo. Could you hear that from up up where you did the three wood from? Yeah, yeah, no, it was incredible. I've never never experienced anything like that. Um, yeah, it was yeah, it was awesome. And and then the whole walk up the up the fairway as well was um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Well, mate, there's a lot to look forward to, not only you know next week, obviously, but for the rest of your career, it's all in front of you. But, um, you know, when it comes to an Open Championship at Birkdale, there's always reasons for Australians to get enthusiastic. Mike Clayton said on this show a couple of weeks ago that of all the Open courses on the rotor, it's the one that is probably most reminiscent and familiar to Australians regarding Australian courses back here. So Australians got a great record of sticking their nose in the frame, mate, and there's no reason why it can't be you. So... Um, good luck and thanks for coming on the show. No worries. Thanks, thanks guys, for having me. Thanks, Camo. Cameron Smith, who's one of the really bright young lights of Australian golf, joining us here on Inside the Ropes. G'day, I'm my golf ambassador, Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for my golf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment. And just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. G'day guys, it's Ryan Russell here. And I'm a long way from home, playing on the Latin America tour and living in the US. But I keep up with all my Australian golf policies inside the road. 
Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Great appreciation we all have for the time that our young guys give up for us. And another guy who's uh, becoming very familiar to Australian golf fans and world golf fans for that matter has contributed his time to Inside the Ropes this week. One of our regular helpers, Ben Everill, the uh, USPGA Tours Ben Everill, great friend of the podcast, has uh, caught up with Curtis Luck. Um, we'll talk a bit more about Ben and his grief with the uh, State of Origin set up in a couple of minutes, but in the interim, here's what Curtis had to say to Ben when he caught up with him before the John Deere Classic. Thanks, Curtis, for joining us here on Inside the Ropes. Made a big couple of weeks for you. Uh, you must be really impressed with how your game's come along after having that break back home. Yeah, uh, St. Jude kind of came just in the nick of time. I played, I think, five events up until that point and, and it kind of just told me that I needed to take a bit of time off and just recharge the batteries back home, um, see some familiar faces and, yeah, get back to the basics. So it was nice to be home and see the coach and, yeah, it's been nice the last few weeks out here. Of course, you came back and had that great finish at the Quicken Loans and, and then a good finish again last week at the Greenbrier means that you're basically set for a spot in the web.com finals at very least, so you must be pleased. Yeah, very. I think uh, Quicken Loans was uh, a really good event for me in the fact that it just showed me that, you know, on a tough golf course I can compete out here. Um, last week was great. I, uh, I found the course suited my eye really nicely, but just didn't make the most of it, unfortunately. So hopefully this week at the John Deere can, uh, yeah, put some more runs on the board and, and get closer to sealing away a US tour card. Well, that's the thing. You've got the opportunity now that you know you're sort of secure for a shot at the web finals that you can almost freewheel it in these next few events that you've got to try to get to that 125 number. Yeah, sure. Um, that's the best thing for me right now is that... Um, and, and actually, if you want my honest opinion, that was the biggest thing I, I thought about when I was at home. Like, what does this year really mean for me? And, and I kind of came to the conclusion that regardless of my results... Uh, I'm 20 years old, I'm playing PGA Tour events, like this is something I've dreamt of, so just enjoy it. If I play bad, I play bad. If I play good, I play good. You know, it's really not going to matter too much. I'm going to come out at the end of the year with great experience and, and ready to, I guess, enter that next phase of being a professional. So um, for me, it's, it's nice and, and it's great that I can kind of come out here and just, yeah, play golf. Let's talk a bit, a bit more about you going home because you've just done it and obviously you said it recharged the batteries. Cameron Smith's been home doing a similar sort of thing mid-season. What do you think is the benefit of you know just being back in Australia and I guess out of the American grind of things? Yeah, I think like for me over time I've noticed that I'm a really good judge of character. For, like When it comes to me, I, I, I make good calls um, and... And I noticed at St. Jude, you know, like a few things I felt weren't going my way, but that's golf and um, where it usually wouldn't bug me too much, it was. Um, so for me, it was it was literally about just, as I said, getting back to basics, just getting in your own bed, seeing your family, you know, having a dog to pat, like just, yeah. just the simple things, um, just to get me back in that, I guess, positive um, frame of mind. But yeah ultimately i also got to see my coach uh my strength and conditioning coach my physio you know all those guys and and it's just a great reset so i was yeah just ready to come out and fire at quick and loans which was yeah perfect it seems like you are definitely learning things quickly out here on the big tour mate do you feel like that you know the learning experience is coming to you nice and uh, i guess naturally yeah it's uh it's been a pretty smooth transition i think uh I think the golf courses play a bit different, which was something I had to get used to. Um, they're long, and, and there's definitely um, a big emphasis on driving the ball well out here because of the fairways 
uh, are great to be in, but when you're in the rough, it's it's killer. So um, I've made a few equipment changes. There's been some changes like that, but uh, yeah, ultimately it's been yeah nice. Um, I was lucky enough to play oh, a ton of, of pro events from October last year to the point where I didn't even play any amateur events. I don't think after Asian Am. So. Um, I had a perfect kickstart to yeah, turning professional and being ready for this stage. Well, everyone at Inside the Ropes is obviously wishing you well for the rest of the season, and everyone back in Australia is hoping you'll have you know, a big run through, maybe, as we said, through to the, the 125, but at, at absolute worst, you'll be having a crack in those web finals. So good luck. Thanks for having me. How awesome is that? Benny Everill couldn't have, actually couldn't have done that interview uh, 48 hours later. So devastated would he have been by what he saw at, um, at Suncorp. So we're, ha- we're lucky that he actually got Curtis Luck before going through the Origin Series. So, Benny, um, pick yourself up, dust yourself off. There's always next year. Have you ever seen a Twitter account sort of no. deactivated by tears before? I think it was <laughs> waterlogged. His phone shorted out. It oh, was, it's yeah. unbelievable. But how good is the approach, uh, the attitude of Curtis Luck? I mean, he sounds um, unbelievably grounded. Yeah, and I think taking that ownership, what we're talking about, where he said, you reflected, he said, no, I need to go home mm. to pat my dog, yes. you know, to see my friends and to reassess with my coach. And living in Australia, I think it, it can be a disadvantage when you're, tra- you're travelling overseas and you, you do miss that. And, and when you can, um, I think it's really important to reflect and reassess and, and um, kickstart again. So this is the third person we've had, Andy, since we've been doing this in our eighth episode. We've had Ryan Ruffles say that he you know, killed himself, overcooked it last year by not coming home. Mm. We had an already two today, Camo and uh, now Curtis, basically say it's really important for me to get home and get a bit of Oz back into me. Yeah. Now, he's come from Memphis when he's when he's uh, world, not collapsed, but you know, just wheels were wobbling there. Mm. I need to be in Perth. Perth's a pretty good place to be. I need to be there. Let's go. And there's no point if you're not up and about on the tour you're wasting your time because, you, you know, the world's too good. Those, those guys are too good to uh, compete when you're half-baked. So full credit to these guys. And, 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 again, thanks to all of them for coming on the program. Yeah, yeah. And you can see something in their body language, I reckon. Curtis Luck has this lightness about mm. him on a golf course. Do you know what I'm talking he's about? Charismatic, yeah, yes. He's really happy charismatic. Yeah, he's really charismatic. Sort of chat away yeah. and have a laugh, and he doesn't look like he gets too down when he misses a part. I mean, mm. he wants to make everything, but mm. he doesn't look like a guy who's going to beat himself up. And if that means, if he can read the signs where he is starting to get, you know, the world closing in on him, yeah. if it's just a matter of jumping on a flight 24 hours later, that all disappears. Yeah. He knows how to he knows how to offload that, which mm. I reckon is really important. Great skill to have. And I reckon it's fascinating to see the uh, the media over there already gravitating towards him. Yeah, right. Well, he's, you know, he's refreshing. Oh, yeah. yeah and he's, he's such refreshing. a good talker. Um, other bits and pieces, and there's a lot to um, work our way through before we wrap it up today. But the big news, of course, from a, and we sort of touched on it briefly on the way through, but... It's just awesome. You know, Jordan Spieth coming back again. Um, you know, this is – he doesn't make the Australian Open. I mean, this tournament survives. But to have Spieth so committed to coming back at it, to an event that he's enjoying playing at, clearly, this is massive news for the Australian Open. He's such a great ambassador. I was out there last year just for the Pro-Am Day with about a dozen kids, local Victorians. And we watched him for the entire front nine. All the kids, they just wanted to go see Jordan Spieth. And I was pretty wrapped to be able to watch him too for nine holes. Every hole, when he walked off the green, he took the time. No joke. Dozens of kids. He took photos with kids. And it was just like, it was just what he did. Hmm. And it was was just beautiful to watch. 
Yeah, really beautiful. There's a story on the Golf Australia website from uh, from Bernie Maguire over in Scotland before the Open this week. Adam Scott's heard that news and he's just fully praised yeah. him for, for just being uh, wholeheartedly committed to not only taking his game around the world, but actually Australia uh, more specifically. He said he's actually spoken to him and he just t- raves about coming back to Sydney, mm. enjoying Sydney, loving his time in Australia, get, doing the sightseeing and enjoying the people. I mean... You, you you tend to forget because he's got that. Sorry, I hope you're not listening, Jordan. But he's got that sort of ball patch going. <laughs> he might be working on that just quietly. Yeah, well, he, <laughs> he might be. be having a little bit of work done. Bit, on of, that, bit of Greg Matthews style. I, it, I think it's his reverse the natural uh, wow. shedding process. If you know what I mean? <laughs> Which somebody had told me about that thirty years ago. But anyway, but he, he you, know, you, you tend to think of him because he seems to have been around for so yeah, long. It's as being sort of mid to late twenties. He's twenty three. <laughs> um, he's got. If you took out Tiger, he's the man by that age in his career. Um, we shouldn't lose sight of that. And if not for a great effort by Matt Jones, he'd be playing for his fourth mm. Stonehaven Cup in a row yeah, in November. Yeah. It's it's phenomenal. And if he gets his third, he joins you know absolute legends of the game: Aussie Pickworth, Peter Thompson. It's extraordinary the 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 heights to which he's already mm. climbed. Uh, it's great that he's coming back down. Uh, anything you want to throw into the mix? I've got a few other little tidbits We've on it. Got to talk about Catherine Kirk, don't we? Oh, of course yeah. surely. We do. Of course yeah. we do. First win since 2010. And to me, it was a real Aussie grit. That's what I, I, I liked about this victory. She had four four look, shot lead going into the last round. Look and at the glint in your eye. Yeah, I oh, know. It's awesome. It's so good. It's And, you know, she was in auto going into that, that last round, and then it didn't quite go away. She had challenges coming at her left, right, and center, and. She got it. She got it done, and she becomes the seventeenth winner on the um, LPGA um, this year, which is quite a quite a remarkable incre- st- statistic. That is incredible, isn't it? I mean, the, the quality, the depth uh, in women's golf at the top level now. It's, mm. it's. I mean, the potential winners, uh, you know, week in week out, it, it's it's stretching itself out seemingly by the year. There is that much talent on the women's tour, and when you get people like Catherine Kirk, who obviously had their struggles in recent years, refining and rediscovering their game. This kind of came from nowhere. She missed a lot of cuts. And then she had a T59 somewhere, and then she had a top 10 the week before, and bang, the game's back. And the way she played 18, I mean, she yeah. just hit the perfect drive, knocked it to you know, eight feet, knocked in the putt. It just was magnificent. Yeah, she said her mind had wandered to, to quitting because she had been at the top of her game, and she'd mm. been there, but then she started questioning herself that, you know, with this – increasing pool of great talent, young talent, at 35 she feels ancient, mm. that she was really starting to question herself. And I think this was just a catalyst and hopefully we can see um, see more of her at the, at the top end of the leaderboards. We've seen flashes this year. She's put up a couple of really good first rounds or mm. second rounds, but mostly first rounds in particular. She led at Royal Adelaide in the ISPS Hander Women's Australian Open. I think it was the 66 from memory, yeah. something like that. Anyhow, after the first round, she, it's still there. Mm. It's just a matter of getting it out for four rounds. And when that putter, I mean, I don't care who it is. No, no one in the world puttered better than Catherine Kirk last week. No. That was just awesome. absolutely outstanding. It was awesome. So if she carries that confidence around, she's got more in her. Um, at the other end, you talk about feeling ancient. You know, the same week, we have a 14-year-old winning, a 14-year-old tie, who I've never heard of nope. before, nope. winning on the Ladies European Tour. And I'm really, really happy, Andy, that Joe's, volu- Joe's got it. volunteered yep. to pronounce the name. I'm going to do my best. Attire? Fitical. Is that, you reckon I... That any, 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 a, was that close? I'm giving you a big tick for that. <laughs> I'm not criticizing 14 you. years old. 14. 14. I mean, this is not... 
necessarily unprecedented. We've seen you know teenagers winning on the you know the women's game before, but we, just because it's happened before, and I don't know where fourteen sits. I don't, has anyone won a professional tournament? Yeah, we have at fourteen before. Previously, it was held by Brooke Henderson. Brooke she, Henderson won. She at won at fourteen nine months and three days. Jesus. And then prior to that, it was Lydia Cohen. I don't remember her exact age, but she won the New South Wales 15, Open at fourteen, 14. something something. So she's in good company. So just because it's been done again doesn't mean we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's still a remarkable achievement. Um, and there you are at either end of the age. Or not that Catherine Kirk, because, I mean, we've seen <laughs> Trish Johnson win you know, yeah. the LPGA um, uh, the Seniors Championship. Wendy Doolan finishing tied third. Third, was it? Yeah, yeah. so there you go. One under in the last round. So, you know, you can still be playing good golf, you know, Game for life, Andy. Past 40. Game for life. Game for life, of course it is. Uh, so, you know, it's happening at both ends of the spectrum in the in the women's game. A lot of eyes were on the Irish Open, <laughs> Hazy, because, you know, John Rahm did what he did in the final round, and that was what everybody half expected him to do, and that was sort of put a gap between himself and the field. I mean, he's a, he's a beast. <laughs> the guy's a beast, and they got good conditions over there, which made it... A little easy to score and, you know, 65, 67, 67, 65. I mean, that's crazy stuff, really. Uh, we actually I, – I, this is clearly a topic for us to discuss. It's one of those great ones you can sink your teeth into. I had a couple of uh, tweets during the week, Andy. Not to go too far into it was the warning – not a warning, mm-hmm. but an advice because they didn't want us to lose sight of the fact that, you know, the, the great links, you know, taking a great tournament to Ireland and expanding and – you know, not forget John Rahm and all this stuff. So we pay before we start into this. I'm paying full credit to John Rahm, and I'm not criticising him for what he did in the, in terms of his uh, actions. And the way he won was unbelievable. Two eagles in his last round, yep. chipping in here, engaging the crowd. He is the man of the future. Like he's a he's a jet. I hope he's right up there with our young guys. Um, full credit to him. World number one amateur by a mile there's a couple a but, of years there's ago. A butt coming here, Hazy. I'm waiting there's for a it. Massive butt, Andy. Come on. What a farce and a shamozzle that ruling is, especially in reference to we've just been talking the LPGA Tour. When we come back to Lexi Thompson a couple of weeks ago, the difference is stark in some respects, but it's also very minute in that it was a marking of the ball incident. One's worth four-shot penalty and one's got a donut next Mm -hmm. to it. Really, really, really hard to conceptualise for the mug on the street who can yeah. who, who golf confuses at the best of times when that sort of stuff happens. The rules, I'm sorry, and I'm going to get in trouble for this when I go back to the office. The rules are no longer black and white; they're grey. Yeah. This is the problem the golf is facing. In the community, we need to be seen to be accessible and friendly, and 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 you know, easy to understand, and we taint our game with these decisions it's unbelievable the guy put the ball back in the wrong spot, spot on. he had no intention of doing it whatsoever no one's saying it he is he's a fine upstanding young bloke love him like a brother hmm. he put the ball back in the wrong spot it's a penalty <laughs> end of story he still wins by six but that's inconsequential but it does but it, it does change it look to some degree it changes the complexion of what happens thereafter Oh. He gets the penalty. It's two shots. He's, he's, he leads by three instead of five. His head, he gets the penalty because he's done something wrong without intent, without intent, but mm-hmm. that shouldn't matter. He, he, His head might come off. Yeah. You know, like guys have been, players have been penalised in the past and it has so affected them that they have they've fallen apart. Now, mm-hmm. 
we're not barracking for John Rahm to fall apart. No. But that's something that he should have had to deal with. He should have had to deal with the two-shot penalty um, and see whether he can compartmentalise that and still get the job done. And it's in the fairness for the rest of the field. Exactly. We're talking John. about one person out of a huge field. And I, I see it as black and white, as, as you both do too. Um, and I, I watched... Andy McPhee's explanation of it, which went for five minutes, and I actually couldn't even understand what he was. Mm, no. And I'm a golfer. So you're, t- you're talking about the general public again, and I'm going, he's talking about 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock, but not to 12 o'clock. And I'm going, mate, I've got no idea what you're talking oh, about. I, it was bizarre. <laughs> no. Keep it simple. Yeah, he, it, it was. His explanation was on daylight savings time, Joe. <laughs> <I don't... laughs> it's, it's really hard. We, we lose sight of who we're talking to because presumably most of the people listening to this right now are, have some interest in golf. If you think about that from a non-golfer's perspective, like try to yeah. put yourself in that in those shoes for a second, yep. that ruling makes no sense at all. I was talking to someone yesterday. Said if you put the ball and let's say you moved it an inch and a half inadvertently, if you put the ball an inch and a half in two inches or whatever in front of the tee markers when you're teeing up, it's a two-shot penalty. Hmm. If you did it on the green, but because you didn't mean to do it, what? It's a no-shot penalty. Oh, There's a penalty if you lose the ball. There's a penalty if you hit it out of bounds. You don't intend to do that either, but there's a penalty. I mean, seriously, let's get fair income here and make it so that people understand the game from afar, from outside. If we don't do that, we're kidding ourselves. Yeah. One thing I'd yeah. like to see on that penalty front is just standardising the number of penalty, whether it be one shot, yes. two shot, three shot, five <laughs> shot, whatever it is, who cares? Because it's just, I still can't get it in my head. I still have to refer to a, a rule book sometimes uh, when I go, oh, what do I do in this case? Like, let's just... We, we we are getting there with the rules modernisation, yes. and that will roll out in 2019. And but I would have liked to see that one roll out and with it. But. Let's remember that Lexi's penalty was two shots in addition because of signing the incorrect scorecard. Yeah. So there That's is right. not that the complete there, disparity. But again, it's really hard to uh, to explain to people the four shots difference for something that's effectively the same. And again, I want to stress that I love John Rahm, and I'm not saying for one second that he cheated. We've touched on that sort of issue with uh, Langer and McCarran and, for that matter, Lexi in the past few weeks. And I'm, th- this is cut and dried to me. He didn't not he didn't mean to do anything wrong, but, but he did. He broke a rule. That's he right. He broke a rule, yep. a cardinal rule of golf. It is it's and, the rule of and, golf. And it's not as if this isn't um, front of mind. It's not as if we haven't had this as a precedent for the last 80 years. It was only four weeks ago. That exactly the same thing yeah. happened, and the world of golf was talking about mm. it. Like everybody in golf was talking about mm. Lexi Thompson. So I don't know. I just don't know how they resolved it the way they did. It just makes no sense. Are there any jobs going at Mar Enterprises? Because I think Joe and I are going to be officially unemployed <laughs> at the end of this. No, no, I don't think anybody who loves the game, uh, no matter what badge they wear on their uh, on their on their breast, uh, is going to be concerned about the commentary that you two have made. Uh, other bits, we keep. There's two things. There's two names that. I don't, I don't reckon we've had a uh, an episode of Inside the Ropes yet where we haven't mentioned either Jamie Arnold. I am obsessed <laughs> with Jamie Arnold for some reason. He had another T twenty four. Now he's still not. He still got some. He needs to close. He's getting closer. He keeps chipping away to get into the top twenty five. But he needs a. He needs to turn a four round tournament in, and he needs to have a big top five. He needs to win one of these things because he's putting himself in the frame over on the web dot com. On the Symmetra, the second tier over. She just keeps getting the job done. I know, like, and I'm going to quote Mark Hayes here and in his article. Ooh. He said, the ultra-consistent, which I think is the perfect um, description of Hannah Green. 
again. Another top 10. Yeah. Three under. She's still inside the top 10 on the tour. Um, she's placed seventh. And just to give you an idea, I just looked up in terms of the sort of the monetary capacity. She's about 12 grand um, higher than the 11th place. So she's got a good little buffer, but still nine nine events to go. So if she keeps up that ultra-consistent form, Hazy. Well, flattered, Joe. She... <laughs> so just to clarify that, top 10 gets you a card? Is that, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Top 10 yeah, yeah. symmetric, get your card. Yeah, mm-hmm. great. Okay. Um, I don't know whether you want to finish on this, but the other one that I was fascinated by during the week was the US Open, women's US Opens this week, of course, at Trump National. And... Um, did you see Brittany Linsicum get herself into a bit of strife? <laughs> yes. Did you read all of that? She's deactivated her Twitter account, I believe. Well, she's had John Daly coming at her and every uh, pro-Trump supporter in America, because it's a Trump course, obviously. Yep. And she was asked, you know, and she's obviously pretty effervescent, and pretty lively, and she said, hopefully, maybe he, being Trump, because there's a willy or won't he turn up, hopefully, maybe he doesn't show up, and it won't be a big debacle, and it will be about us and not him, she said to the Chicago Tribune. <laughs> I don't know him. I've met him probably once. I think it'll be fine. We're going to play an amazing golf course and let our clubs do the talking. Now, she's clearly saying we don't want the golf tournament to be overshadowed by the arrival of Donald Trump. So if in his possible schedule he could stay away <laughs> this week, then that would probably be great for us. You know, Just let us play our golf and not have the circus come to town. She's been hammered. She's been hammered by um, a lot of people for speaking her mind on this. Oh, I can hear you choosing your words so carefully, and every time we bring up the initials DT, <laughs> we're trying to keep this unpolitical or apolitical. No, well, there's, a golf, there's a golf angle to all of this, Hazy. Oh, absolutely true, mm-hmm. but it, it is ridiculous that the premier women's tournament yep. in the world yep. runs any risk of being hijacked by an appearance or otherwise of someone who may or may not be wearing a wig, Joe. <laughs> oh, sorry, we weren't going to go personal. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, I take that all back, yeah, Donny no, Donny boy. I don't. I don't think if he is listening to Inside the Ropes and he can give us a five star um, a review, <laughs> then we'll mention his name next week, but in a positive way. All right. We haven't got any fake news. We better make something up. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, no, I, I just think that you know this is the tournament that this is the the Wimbledon of women's golf. Yeah. It, it is. It, it just deserves its time in the sun, no matter what, what happens. And and I think he's going to fly in on a helicopter on Sunday, I believe. And so he has said he will. Uh, um, that's the story going around all the the website, the American okay. golf website. So they're all all the reporters are just begging for it to just you know sort of fade into the background on Sunday. That's not going to happen. That's not happening. So when the you know the Trump helicopter lands on the middle of the fourteenth green, well. What a what a joke that's going to be! And I, feel, Brittany, I know you're an avid listener of Inside the Ropes. You've got our sympathies. Indeed. Uh, on that note, anyone else got anything else they want to put on the agenda before we say I'd fair like to, well? I'd like to uh, congratulate Min Woo Lee on his runner-up big charging finish at the Sahali Amateur in in the states, and wish him best of luck in his title defence at the US uh, Boys Amateur title. Um, he's been right, rounding into some nice form. Uh, away since he left Perth, and uh, let's hope it comes all to fruition at the US Boys Amateur. Here, here. Uh, I'm done. Nice to see you again, Joe Charlton. Always a joy having you as part of the program. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Hazy. Hazy, good to see you again, big fella. Cheers, Murray. We'll, we'll do it all again sometime. Thanks for tuning in to Inside the Ropes, everybody.